Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. It's Liz here, and I am joined by Patrick Bacon today. So before I let him speak, I'm going to go on my little tangent like I always do at the beginning of these things and tell you why I asked him to join us today. So uh, for those of you that follow the podcast which is on Twitter, which is most of you, and some of you follow me as well, you know that we're big fans of the J Fresh player cards when it comes to like Uh, free agents on the market that you want to know more about and you don't have much of a sample of your own eyes to kind of base it off of or all those different things or even just looking at kind of oh is there a reason why we are feeling x way about x player all that good stuff and those are some of my favorites because they're really easy to read all that good stuff so like I said those are Jay Fresh player cards he makes them they're wonderful you can subscribe to his Patreon and you can see them all Um, but Patrick is the one who kind of does the math for those and he's kind of the the genius behind half of that. So I thought I would get him on here today and we could talk about some of the Jets and sort of, um, you know, what he's learned about them since he started this model, which he said is very new, which is crazy to me because these are such, I find that they're really accurate to the players that I do have a good eye test of kind of thing. And it's just awesome. Before we start that, one of my favorite things to ask people who come on the podcast that aren't local is I want to know if you have ever been to Winnipeg or what you know about Winnipeg or if you have any like any connection to Winnipeg whatsoever like oh I have my uncle's second cousin lives there and we'll be like yo he's my next door neighbor all that fun stuff so Patrick have you ever been to Winnipeg um what do you know about Winnipeg and do you feel any special way about Winnipeg (laughs) I've never been to Winnipeg no I have been to quite a few Canadian cities I've been to Vancouver Montreal Toronto maybe one other that I'm forgetting but no I've never been to Winnipeg I'm from California so it would be a, a big change for me to go to Winnipeg never really had a reason to go I know that they do not have an airport that is Winnipeg's identity to us in the United States that's what we know Winnipeg for no airport also I know that the San Jose Sharks players were asked about the worst place to play (laughs) on the road and I think that a few of them got some in some heat because they mentioned Winnipeg they specifically mentioned the poor (laughs) wi-fi So that's, that's kind of what I think of when I think of Winnipeg. I think of the hockey team as well. Obviously, I'm a hockey fan. I'm, and I'm not, again, I'm not a Canadian, so I don't know the ins and outs of the cities in Canada. If there had never been a hockey team in Winnipeg and the Simpsons had never made a joke about it, I probably would never have heard of it. So that's, that's the extent of my knowledge, really not uh, knowledgeable <laughs> in that area. Yeah, definitely understood. And uh, yeah, I remember that San Jose Sharks thing, the bad Wi-Fi, which is kind of true. Um, but uh, the airport thing has always been so funny to me because um, like, I want to say like 10 years ago or 15, we, we like redid our airport and it's like really nice. So I don't understand where the joke started, but it's really funny and I, I love it. It's, it's hilarious. But again, I don't know where it came from, but it's just kind of who we are. We don't have one anymore. Um, but yeah, so Patrick, like I said, he kind of, you run Top Down Hockey, right? Like that's you, that's kind of your brand that you've built. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what it is that you do, how you kind of got to know Jack with those player and then kind of work together to make those player cards and what sort of just what your little side hustle is here that you do and how it works and stuff? Yeah, so I actually knew Jay Fresh through a Discord server. We were just in, we, we both knew a guy from hfboards.com. I don't know if anybody, I'm sure some of the listeners and viewers are familiar with that website. It's a hockey forum. I know that Garrett Hall posts there. It's a fairly, fairly big hockey forum, right? So we, we both knew somebody from there. Somebody invited me to some Discord server. He was there too. So we just chatted about hockey. Um, 
this was actually well before he even was Jay Fresh. He was just Jackie at that point to everybody there. And so this was around probably December of 2019, pre-pandemic. And then right around the time the pandemic came, he started his whole Jay Fresh thing, right? He, he had been doing some visualizations for a while. It's funny, he was a huge fan of Don Luce Chision's game score. And we all told him to use Evolving Hockey's goals above replacement instead, um, which, which now I don't know if that was actually the right decision, but he was a huge fan of, of all the metrics we all were, right? And he made some cool player cards. And then he made one that absolutely blew up. Those are his classic player cards. Those are still my favorite. And he got his start that way right around March of last year. He, he kind of blew up pretty quick. And so on my end, I, I kind of just watched his rise to success. I had been following hockey analytics for a long time. And we, we worked together closely in the background, even before I made my Twitter account, right? I'd read a good amount of his articles, offered some advice, explained some concepts, you know, argued about certain things, right? Told him he should have done something different where he didn't listen or whatever. But then around October, I, I was in a kind of a weird position work-wise. I was five months out of graduating college. I was uh, interning um, with a small local startup and I've had some free time. I just been playing a bunch of video games. And again, I, I knew analytics fairly well. I've been following them for a while. I knew evolving hockey, right? All this and that. And so I was like, uh, I'm just going to try to learn some of this. I think I had taken like one online course in R maybe. I had taken a Python course in college, right? Intro to Python or whatever, Python for non-majors. Pretty minimal technical expertise and mathematical training, right? I majored in business marketing. So none of this was really my background, but I just decided to jump into it. And it all just kind of made sense pretty quickly. I had a lot of hours to put into it, a lot of ton of free time, right? Living at home in a pandemic. So I just kind of got started and Jay Fresh kind of definitely plugged me in with a bunch of retweets and whatnot. And things just kind of rolled from there, right? And just like I said, I have it in the, the Twitter bio. It's, it's kind of uh, maybe slightly pretentious, but I say the goal of this account is to be wrong about hockey less frequently. Less often, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, no, exactly. And it's, it's, it's all about, so for me, everything I've done has just been kind of like, I have this question, there's this thing that I think I believe, but I don't know if it's really true, or I don't even know what I believe, but I, I, I'm curious. Like, I think the, the first project I did was to build expected goals with an adjustment for scorekeeper bias with the goal of using that, those expected goals to fuel a regularized adjusted plus minus. Because basically kind of my theory was that for teams, like, I don't know how familiar you are with scorekeeper bias, but like Minnesota Wild, for example, their scorekeepers say that shots are further from the net than they actually are. So shots 35 feet out, they say it's 40 feet out. Um, and I, I had seen like that all, I, I kind of just worked on the assumption, right, that all these RAPM metrics were underrating their offensive play driving and overrating their defensive play driving. But I wanted to see how much that was really doing. So I kind of just jumped in and, and built a model based on uh, with scorekeeper bias and the expected goals model, and then one without an adjustment for scorekeeper bias, and then compared them side by side to see what kind of difference it would make, made a, a marginal difference, 
which is kind of what I expected. But that's just been my thing from day one has just been asking questions and trying to figure things out. And, uh, you know, people seem to like the results of my work. Um, when I post it up, it's, it gets traction and obviously everyone loves the J fresh player cards. So that's just how it's happened. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I think that's super cool. You sort of, you know, see something and people always talk about like, well, we'll get to all this stuff about, you know, the whole infamous battle between the eye tests and the stats and, you know, stats are fake and everything like they're not, you know, based on what you're already watching, but as someone who watches the game a little bit, maybe more objectively, and you're looking to learn and stuff, you ask yourself these questions and then the fact that you're able to, you know, do what you said you did and kind of figure it out yourself and like, you know, do all these tests and these samples and compare them and stuff. That's really awesome. And I think we're kind of entering an age where there's going to be a lot more of that kind of stuff with the stats and people kind of, you know, finding their own ways to problem solve. Like you already mentioned, I don't know if this was off the air on the air. You talked about Garrett, you talked about Evolving Wild, and we've talked about like all these different people, Dom Lustration, like they all have all their own cool ways of sort of watching the game and saying this is something I'd like to learn more about and then visualizing it on you know excel on maps on whatever all that cool stuff and it's uh so that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit more of the jet specific stuff obviously because we're you know a jets podcast Patrick's going to talk about some of the math that he's done uh I say math it's really more his like you know his models and stuff like that what they say about some of our favorite guys some of our least favorite guys and then you know depending on how time goes maybe we'll talk about sort of some of the free agents coming up especially on the blue line and sort of what might be a fit for the Jets based on sort of the, the numbers that they have. So um, for those of you who are watching, you might see that I'm in a different area. I have my monitor set up um, today so that I can have these player cards pulled up beside me. So we can kind of go through a couple of these and talk about the players that we have on these J Fresh cards. So um, we're definitely going to start by talking about Connor Hellebuck because that's my favorite thing to start conversations with. You know, someone comes into the bank where I work and says, good morning, how are you? And I'm just like, good morning. Would you like to talk about Connor Hellebuck today? Um, so um, we all know that he is wonderful. Um, but Patrick, I'd like to see you talk a little bit more about why he's so wonderful and what kind of makes him so wonderful. You had mentioned the little stat to me right before we started that I can't wait for you to tell everyone because that is, I didn't know that. And I would, I'm, I'm spoiling it now. It's awesome. Tell us about it. <laughs> all right. So basically I recently just kind of rebuilt all my models uh, in Python, different programming software. They're very similar to the ones that were built before. I put out a whole write-up on Medium about all the changes I made. None of them are really, I think, important enough to have to cover here. But basically, I, I rebuilt expected goals and everything and kind of looking over expected goals, uh, wins above replacement, right, for goaltenders. And looking at all goaltenders since 2017, 2018, through this past season that was just played in the regular season, Connor Hellebuck leads all of them with 70.9 goals saved above expectation. And second place is Antti Ranta with 45. So he is 20, uh, 20, he runs up to 26 goals above the next goalie over the course of just four seasons, and they're not even full seasons. Then wins above replacement, he is at 24. Next is Mark Andre Fleury at 16 and a half. So he is over the past four seasons, he has been significantly better than every other goalie, according to these models. Uh, I can't tell you exactly what that is. I can't tell you it's because he's got a strong blocker or a strong glove hand or because he reads the play well. The stats don't tell me that. So I, I can't sit here and pretend I know exactly why he's so phenomenal, but he's been one of the top goaltenders in every single individual season 
outside of 2018, 2019, where he was still good. And in the aggregate, which is what I always like to look at, he's been by far the best. I think he's, he, if he keeps this up, which is unlikely just because goalies are random, but if he keeps this up, he will, he should go down as one of the very best players of this generation. Which is so crazy to hear that. Like, you know, we always talk about how we're a little bit more biased towards our own players and stuff like that. And we always talk about how much he saves our seasons, how much he saved our coach's job over the past couple of years, like all that stuff. But it's really interesting to see that, you know, like you said, that whole 26 above the next person, like where do most goalies fall? Is it at like 10 or like zero or like 30? Like where, how much better is he than like the average goalie? So goal saved above expectation, that's, that should be average, should be zero. Right. Okay. Right. If the model's well built, you're expecting about an average goalie, about an average shooter on a shot. So average there should be pretty close to zero. Obviously there's, there's good and bad, right? Hellebuck leads the pack at plus 71. The next is uh, Auntie Ronta at 45. If you look at negative, worst is Devin Dubnik at negative 45. <laughs> of course, of course. And then there's, Craig Anderson at negative 34. So it's, um, it's, it's average is pretty close to zero. So he's, he's doing a lot more than average. Yeah. That's funny that you say Devin Dubnik. I know Uh, Patrick's a Sharks fan for those of you who are unaware. So having the goalie tangent of Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik is probably not what you want. Um, Just from my, you know, that, that, that's what I'm going to say, but um, I'm sure you probably agree with me to a certain extent. So um, I have his card pulled up here and it just sort of shows um, you know, you have all these different little numbers, which are obviously different for goalies than they are for skaters. Um, but where does it ever take into account the teammates that he has play in front of him? Cause we talk about that all the time. You know, he's played in front of, you know, in any of these given years, 20 minutes a night of Ben Sherratt, Tucker Pullman or Nathan Bolio. Like, does that get accounted for in the model? And is that why he's so high above expected because his defense is that terrible? That's, that's exactly it. Yeah. I, I haven't uh, looked, I don't have off the top of my head goal saved above average, right. Just based on save percentage, but mm-hmm. I don't believe his, his goal saved, his save percentage is like nine seventeen nine eighteen every year, which is like not that far above average. The it's, it's because the shot quality he faces is very high and it, it's not, spe- it's not specifically accounting for Ben Sherrod or Tucker Pullman in particular, but just the general, the aggregate of Winnipeg's defense, whatever shots they allow from the locations they allow them from with the other factors that go into the shots, like the, the event that happened before the shot, how long ago that event was, was the shot on the power play, all this stuff goes into the shots in a manner that suggests that he is facing very, very high quality. Cause as you mentioned, cause as I, as I mentioned, right, the goal state to have average, it's not that high of the shot quantity it's really though that the quality of the shots he's facing are so appear to be so much higher than the league average goalie faces. And that's, so yes, it is accounted for. One day I'd love, I'd love to see this model of Andre Pavlik. I would love it. It would just be so fun to, to see what that guy was up to. We, uh, we, we've had, we've had the two like complete opposites when it comes to goaltending, like Pavlik was fine. He was an interesting fellow. Um, he wasn't that good, but now we have, you know, like you said, one of probably the best goalie currently playing, if not the best in the last however many years. Like he's he's quite good. Um, are you are you pulling something up here? Are you taking a look? Yeah, I'm looking at Andre Pavlich. Uh, Andres Pavlich. I I've never know how to pronounce the name properly. Um, 
So it looks like he's been worth negative two goals saved above expectation over 400 games. So that's pretty bang on average. Um, sadly, doesn't doesn't seem to be all that bad as he was made out to be. Um, I know I remember having him in NHL 10, the video game, and he was always uh, very good in that game, I think. So, uh, but I never knew how to pronounce the name. <laughs> yeah, uh, he doesn't look awful, but. All those guys from back in the day, you know, like our homers, like, you know, Andrew Ladd was our first captain. So everyone loved Andrew Ladd. Andre Pavlik was our first starting goalie. So everyone loved Andre Pavlik. But now we like to look back at it and we're like, whew, that guy was a, he was something else. Granted, I was nine years old when the Jets came back or however old. So it was kind of hard to really, you know, do much beyond cheer for them when they score. Um, but it, it's interesting to, to look back on those older days and see what we had uh, going for us there. Um, so I think maybe we'll just kind of jump into talking about a couple specific players and you can sort of talk about some of the more, maybe some of the outliers when it comes to their stats, we can pull up their cards and take a look, whether it's the really good ones, the really bad ones. And then we could sort of talk about the kind of player that they are, um, how it compares to, uh, maybe I'll kind of play the role of the Jets fan here. Obviously that varies like crazy, but just sort of someone who maybe quote unquote cares more about what I see than what I see on paper. And we'll just kind of go from there. So I'm going to pull up these three-year weighted cards. I know you guys do um, three-year versus current year. So we have the 2021 ones here as well. Do you want to quickly touch on sort of, because you said you prefer the larger samples, right? And you want to talk about kind of why that is. I have a feeling that it, you know, is a pretty standard reason. But if you want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I've kind of touched on it before, but the, the metrics themselves that get calculated are all, they offer a fairly wide range of error, like the even strength offense, even strength defense, right? I wrote an article about kind of the bootstrapping and showing that the, the error bars are fairly large. So it's within one season, right? So within multiple seasons, you tend to get a bit of a better idea of who somebody really is. But at the end of the day, it's pretty simple. If you are looking to predict performance in year four, so say year four is 2021, Right. If you have data from 2020 and 19 and 18, uh, you will do much better with those three seasons than you will with just one. So the fact that three seasons of data can do a better job of predicting the future tells us it's probably a better, a better metric for giving us a good idea of, of what somebody is right now at a given point in time. Um, in general, hockey, we it's it's such a volatile sport. There's so many different wacky things that go into a shot becoming a goal that even even 82 game samples back when we were doing 82 games in what feels like forever ago, even those 82 game samples are just not usually quite enough. So I like to use multiple years whenever possible. They do a better job of predicting the future and there's there's less error and uncertainty associated with them. So it's just generally the better move if you can. For sure. Yeah. And you said something that I want to touch on later. So I'm going to just like write that down. We're going to, we're going to unpack that in a minute, but um, you were talking about before how you kind of, one of your favorite uh, sort of Jay Fresh things is his classic player cards. And those are the ones that have my favorite of all, which is the estimated wins above replacement value. That is my favorite thing on planet earth because it's so all over the place. And it's like, it's all based on the stats. Right. And there's a disclaimer at the bottom of every single one of these cards that says, 
the estimated wins above replacement value is a as a conversation starter and it will save your scores so for example i have blake wheeler's player card pulled up right here and so for those of you that are unfamiliar with estimated wins above replacement value it's basically based on these stats that they've gathered how much money should this guy be making is that is that translate kind of to what it says so yes, it here we have the cap hit of Blake Wheeler of $8.25 million. His estimated wins above replacement value is $1.765 million. Not great. Um, not as bad as Josh Morrissey's. I want to say negative 1.2, um, but we'll get there. Um, but obviously, but Patrick, this doesn't take into account his leadership skills and the fact that he's been living in Winnipeg for 10 years. Um, but let's talk about Blake Wheeler a little bit and um, just kind of talk about what we've seen from him. And if he is one of those players that you think three years is still more accurate than a past year, given the steep decline that I find that he might be on due to his age being, you know, like a million. Yeah, so the the estimated war values definitely are hilarious. Just just in general, they, they can just be pretty wacky. Um, as I mentioned, right, so there, there can be a wide range of error within the metrics. And in that range of error, when you, you end up kind of doing all this math, right, putting two and two together, you turn that range of error into a money value, and it's like $3 million. <laughs> Right, like like a very like a, a nice home in New York, right, is the value of, of the error of these models essentially. So they, they can be pretty wacky. I actually was surprised to hear that Blake Wheeler is still a positive. I'm guessing that is because it's a multi-year sample. If it were just one, it would definitely be. I know his metrics did not look pretty this year. Um, I know that back in the day, he had some of the best play driving metrics, not even all that long ago, like 2016, 2017. Um, he had some of the, the best play driving metrics in the league. And it's it, so aging curves are just a thing right in hockey. And they're, they're so much sooner than we as fans like to think they are right. In, in Wheeler's case, he appeared to sort of be defying an aging curve being really good kind of as he aged later into his career where most players decline, but he also is a large bodied player. He plays a very physical style. I haven't actually researched whether that whole idea that those players decline quicker is true. So I can't really speak to that. Um, what I've seen from him watching him play is that he can command a power play from the right half wall, like few other players. I, I remember a game in Winnipeg against the Sharks where he just kept passing it to Patrick Line and everybody knew that was what was going to happen. Everybody knew, but he just threaded the needle every time on the pass. And I, I don't know if Line actually scored. He might have just hit some posts or whatever. Maybe Jones came up with a few big saves. He scored. We'll just say he scored for my heart. <laughs> sure. We'll on say the anniversary Line's. of his draft day, he scored. Okay. Yeah, sure. We'll give Proceed. that to him. Yeah. Uh, he can come in a power play and that's the kind of skill where I, I kind of look at a guy like Joe Thorne, for example, as a, as just sort of to say, this is a skill that shouldn't decline quite as quickly as others. Now, every skill just is prone to decline as you get older, right? Even, even your mental speed with, with which you make decisions, those just tend to tend to go pretty quickly, but he does generally outside of that power play, he does fit the profile of a guy who would decline fairly steeply and would decline fairly hard. He, he plays a physical game. He generally leaves it all out there, but it's, it's tough for me to say exactly what happened this year, 
I'd say you probably expect him to be better next year. You definitely expect him to be better according to the metrics, but to be worth that contract, I doubt. And then to even necessarily be good according to the metrics, I, I still don't, I still don't know if he's going to be able to drive play positive at even strength or if those days are just maybe past him. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I, I totally agree with what you said. And then I, he was playing, this is a whole thing. Don't even get me started on. He was playing with broken ribs or bruised ribs or something for like three months at the beginning of the year. Brady could check hit him in the head and he was out with a concussion or something for a couple weeks, sat down for the first time in however long came back and looked a lot better um, according to sort of the eye test. And then um, Shifley had a pretty good playoffs in my opinion. And so did Wheeler. And they just looked a lot better together. And people were like, aging is fake. Blake Wheeler is just as impactful as he ever was kind of thing. He was just playing hurt. He shouldn't be playing hurt, but do you think that that has anything to do with sort of um, what we saw or would it be a combination of that and aging or is it mostly, do you think an injury or would it be probably more the aging thing? If he's playing with serious injury, that tends to be more significant than aging, right? Uh, when you see a steep decline like this, I'm looking at the wins above replacement right now. So he was worth, uh, this is in the new model, so the values may differ slightly, but he was worth 2.1 last year and then negative 0.1 this year. Um, that kind of steep decline, that's not what normal aging curves look like, right? Normal aging curves are fairly smooth. So that kind of steep decline more likely than not is some kind of injury. At the same time, injuries and aging kind of go hand in hand. Injuries are a reason that aging curves look the way they are, right? 30-year-olds have accumulated more injuries than 20-year-olds. And so I believe that his injury, if he was playing through injuries, right? That's been documented. He's playing yes. through pretty serious injuries to start the year. And I'm sure that hurt his results. I'm sure that he's, he's not going to be, uh, if he's healthy, he's not going to be as bad as that. But at the same time, as guys get older, that whole if he's healthy just becomes an even bigger if, right? right. I, I look at Eric Carlson, and it was sort of similar in San Jose, right? He he started off the season really rough, took off a few games, came back looking better, and people say, oh, aging is fake, right? He was just injured. And it's like, well, you get injured once, you're probably likely to get injured again. You might not fully recover. I was going to say, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's so it's kind of all by way of saying that if the player is healthy, he's certainly going to be better than if the player is injured. But at the same time, injuries add up and there's no guarantee you're going to be just 100 percent healthy again. So do you think it kind of bodes poorly for Blake Wheeler that he's getting older, he's had some injuries that he's played through and his usage hasn't been adjusted in the past five years. And he plays on the first line every single night with no breaks and no room for anyone else to jump onto that first line spot. Do you think that the typical, you're talking about this whole aging curve, like with a lot of these, I'll call him a superstar. If we want to go that route, do they, you have some guys like Claude Giroux, who I think in the past couple of years has started to play like almost third line minutes with some power play and stuff like that. Do you think most guys as they get older, start to play in smaller minutes kind of thing or is this pretty typical that a 34 year old who has always been a first liner continues to be a first liner it, it really varies from coach to coach uh and player to player right and is heavily dependent on how well other players within the organization age 
right? So I know you mentioned Claude Giroux. I know you were talking about ice time, but you think about Claude Giroux, right? He moved to wing, and then he had that resurgent season in 2017, 2018. That probably doesn't happen if Philadelphia doesn't already have Sean Couturier, right? So I think that for teams who are kind of stretched more thin in terms of depth, they tend to uh, struggle to give their older players the minutes that they need, right? But I would say I haven't looked closely at whether teams generally do reduce the minutes of older players. If they do, they definitely do it a little bit later than they should. Just generally teams pick up on, on everything a little late, right? It, it's hard and it's impossible not to, right? It's impossible not to, but teams tend to pick up on things like, like aging and injuries a little late and they tend to adjust things like ice time a little late on that. But in, in Wheeler's case, I definitely don't think that he should be playing those heavy first line minutes, especially not if he's playing through injury, but just generally, he probably shouldn't be playing that many minutes anymore. I, I think a lot of teams could stand to do a much better job of load management in the NHL. I think that's one real market inefficiency. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's again, one of those things that is very interesting that you know, you're not per se a Jets fan, but this is exactly, totally agree with you. Totally on the same page on that one. But speaking of maybe modifying usage a little bit too late, not really. Um, Nikolai Ehlers on the opposite side, Nikolai Ehlers plays second line minutes, night in, night out, um, second line power play, all that good stuff. And, you know, we're comfortable playing him 14, 16 minutes a night kind of thing. Let's talk about him a little bit. Talk about sort of um, what's interesting about, you know, him having maybe some poor defensive stats, but also being likely the most effective and impactful skater on the Jets roster, other than potentially Mark Shifley. I don't even know. We'll talk about that after too. Um, but just let's talk a little bit about uh, Nick Ehlers. I have his three-year player card pulled up here. I know his um, estimated war value is like $11 million or something fun like that. Um, what are your thoughts on him and what your model says about him? Yeah, he's, he's definitely, so he's, he's a, a star player, right? He's a star winger without question. Um, he's somebody, uh, he's definitely an interesting guy, right? Winnipeg's usage of him, that definitely is abnormal. Um, not only, so there are guys around the league who have high war numbers or whatever that coaches don't love, right? Dylan DeMello is, is kind of another one of them and he plays for Winnipeg, but those guys generally... Oh my gosh, I totally forgot that he was a shark. We'll talk about him yeah, too. Do, definitely. Do you like Dylan We'll get into that. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> so, so with, with Ehlers, he's an outlier. I think he, he was top 10 in five on five points last season, 2019, 2020. Just five on five points, right? Like this is not war, right? This is not anything fancy. Um, he's And he's one of the fastest skaters in the league right? His game is one that is very friendly to the eye test, right? He skates fast and shoots the puck and scores a lot. Not right? in the playoffs though. So that means he's bad. I get, no, not until this year's playoffs, right? Against Edmonton. Um, so he, he's definitely a very weird case as far as coaching and usage. I can't think of off the top of my head, another player like him who is as not not just as good in my opinion and according to my metrics that I've devised or whatever in my but just points 
and and skating fast and controlled zone entries and whatnot. He he passes all of those tests with flying colors. It's definitely strange that he. I don't. I still don't think he even plays top power play minutes with Winnipeg, which I know they have some other options, but he definitely feels like an underutilized player. Now it's it's possible that with more minutes he might not be able to give as much per minute. I don't know, right? That I've tried to look into the effects of fatigue before on yeah. offense and defensive performance and just couldn't find anything. There's a number of reasons why that could be, but I just I couldn't find a relationship. Um, but he he's definitely his usage is definitely one that stands out to me. Just just as a player in general, he's one of those players that I see he should play more minutes. Well, and the reason he doesn't, right, is because his name isn't Kyle Connor, and Kyle Connor has to be our first line left winger, right? And I think, but it's really interesting that you say that about the whole um, effect. I don't even know what the word was they used, but like the per minute, what he gives kind of thing, which is interesting because as a fan's perspective, when you're just heat of the moment mad and you hear the coach saying that you like his usage um, when he's not being utilized to his full quote unquote potential, it is frustrating, but then it's something to take with a grain of salt as well. And I think it's interesting that you say that because that's one thing that we do get frustrated about, but it's like, maybe, maybe you understand what the coach is coming from in that sense. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with him, but if you're worried about him not being able to be as effective in a larger sample per game, um, it's something to at least take into consideration. But that being said, the whole first power play unit kind of thing when yeah. they can't gain possession in the zone, maybe, maybe take the one guy you have on your team that's good at zone entries. Maybe, just a thought. But let's talk about Kyle Connor a little bit too because that's, you know, kind of the whole who should be the top line left wing. I realize that Ehlers played a lot of right wing this year uh, after line I left and stuff. But um, let's talk about Kyle Connor. I know he has some poor defensive metrics. I was actually listening to um, AJ did an episode a year ago, I don't know, with, with Jay Fresh. And they talked about how Connor was like the worst, like capital T, capital W, the worst defensive forward in the NHL, like two years ago or whatever. And it's just, it's interesting. And I want to talk about him a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So, so first thing I want to say, as I've heard people, I've seen analytics fans on hockey Twitter say that Kyle Connor is not a good player. And I totally disagree with that. I think that's uh, a, a terrible overcorrection to a player who, who probably is overrated, especially if you're just looking at the counting stats, right? He's not maybe quite as good as, as his, I think he was on pace for like 40 goals uh, in 2020. I don't know exactly how he scored this year. He's definitely a good player, in my opinion. Um, his even strength play driving metrics do look replacement level or a bit worse over the past three seasons. The thing is, the thing about him is, I think it's, I think it's okay to stomach the idea that he's cost about two and a half wins over the past three seasons defensively, just to even strength defense, right? Um, that's something I'd be willing to say, okay, right? I mean, it's, it's not something you love, but the issue when it comes to the, the RAPMs, right, the even strength play driving metrics, is he does not statistically drive offense either very well. And there's been a lot made about how Winnipeg's system um, breaks expected goal models, so to speak, right? They, they play in transition a lot. They, they don't take shots necessarily close to the net, but they get uh, rush looks and whatnot. I don't, I don't think they're even the biggest outlier or, or too close there. But in Connor's case, what it really is is slightly below average offensive play driving, um, borderline league worst defensive, 
and then elite shooting, some of the best shooting in the league, right? And so that's a player that certainly has value. When you look at it, right, shooting, I know that people have said, and I don't disagree, that my model overrates shooting, right, especially compared to play driving. There's a number of reasons why I think that is. But it's still true. The hardest, the hardest uh, thing to get in hockey is a good shooter. They cost more money on the open market. It's less repeatable from year to year, right? So a guy like Kyle Connor, who's constantly adding one or two wins just through shooting every year, that's a very valuable player, even if the red and blue charts are a little more red in some areas. No question he's a good player. What I don't, what I don't understand, and I need to watch more of him, is why his even strength offensive metrics are so low. That's my big concern with him. Because if, if, he were, if he were driving offense the way that you would expect from a player who scores as much as he does, then you'd say that's, that's a high-end star winger who just gives a lot back defensively. And that's a, there's a, quite a few of those in the league. They're all very valuable. Issue with him is because he doesn't drive offense either, statistically, outside of his shot, then you start to wonder, like, okay, maybe he's not actually a great player, but he's still unquestionably good to me and unquestionably valuable. That's what I see in him. I would need to, I get that he's bad defensive. I have no doubt there. I would need to watch more and figure out why is he so bad offensively according to the metrics, and are those wrong? I know that Jack Hahn has called him a great offensive player. He's more of an eye test guy, right, a scout. He's called him a great offensive player. I need to watch and see how's his playmaking How's his offensive play away from the puck? Does he create his own chances? I'd need to know that and, and feel more confident about the even strength offense. That's where the confusion all stems for me from him is even strength offense. I understand the rest. Yeah, I like what you said about the whole overcorrecting piece because like I know for myself, like I'm quite hard on Kyle Connor. But if you go and you say he's a bad player, it's like that it's a ridiculous thing to say about anyone who plays on the first line in the NHL. It's just a little bit. It, it, yeah, so the overcorrection thing is interesting. Um, but I kind of want to weigh in on what you said about the whole the play driving piece. I don't think he's a good play driver. And I think that you talked about Blake Wheeler is a good play driver. And they played quite a bit together, especially during Blake Wheeler's good seasons and stuff like that. And those early on ones. And I just find this is going to make me sound, I'm going to put on like my old man glasses here. But like, he doesn't play on the wall. So like, he's really, really like, light on the puck like he's not heavy on the boards and stuff like like he's really easy to take the puck away from it seems like when I'm watching him and stuff like that and it just doesn't seem to be a lot of that like that strength that comes from some of those guys like we talk about we'll talk about Pierre Luc Dubois eventually because I can't go an episode without bringing him up but he's one of those guys that again the whole overcorrection piece he's never going to be an NHL fourth liner okay yeah he had a bad year but we'll get there um but he's a little bit heavier on the puck he has a bigger body and I just feel like the play driving comes a little bit more easily to people like that. And I think someone like Cal Connor, there are probably a dozen guys like him in the league that have those poorer defensive metrics, but they're elite finishers. So if you surround them with the players that they need, they can have a good impact on the game, right? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, does that kind of fall into what you might expect from someone who has a player card similar to this? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, you can get a, a guy who is a, you know, 90th percentile play driver and they're going to add quite a bit of value, but a guy who's a 90th percentile shooter is just going to add more, right? Just generally now that it's less repeatable from year to year. So you don't want to get a guy who just kind of had a few pucks go in for him in one year, right? And, and looks good according to the, the charts or whatever, but Connor has had, uh, he's according to the model I'm looking at right now, he has added over one and a half wins above replacement through shooting in every full season he's played in the NHL. That is a high-end shooter. 
right, that, that's a high really... thing so right so yeah. like would some would there be anyone on the jets that's similar in that sense or would he be kind of the outlier there so looking at the statistics right he, he statistically grades out fairly similar to patrick line um which you know it's also weird because they they play on the same team right so well like, is, I, I would almost argue that I, I say this sometimes that Cal Connor is what people thought Patrick Line was like the whole quote-unquote one-trick pony thing like again I don't think that's a fair thing to say about either of them but the whole elite finishing talent everything else is forgettable is probably fair to say about both of them would you agree yeah so so just looking at the metrics right now it's interesting um, even strength play driving, Lana has been below replacement level every year in his career. Um, defensively, every single one, but then offensively, all but one, he's been below replacement level. Um, Connor's on the same case. He's above replacement level, but not by a huge amount. So Connor's about an average offensive play driver. Lana is a, a bad offensive play driver. So that, that hurts. Now, Lana, he's in a different category as a sniper um, based on his first three seasons. He was beating like half the goalies in the league from 40 feet out. It was like some of those highlight reels are just ridiculous. Um, but what, he hasn't really done that so much in the past three seasons. So I, I think that, I mean, they're both they're both like two of the weirder players in the league to me. Like not just Winnipeg Jets, right? All players in the league. When I think of weird, confusing players, those two really do both nice. come up on my list. Uh, they, they statistically, they're fairly similar. Now, as you mentioned, right, the issue with Connor appears to be he's not very strong, right? He, that, that's not necessarily an issue with Line. Line is not a physical player per se, right? And he's not, he, he might be considered soft, but he's obviously, he's, he's pretty big, right? He's not necessarily getting pushed off pucks the same way that Connor is. He's not necessarily weak on the boards in the same manner. Um, I think, I think from what I've heard, maybe a little bit of what I've seen, most of what I've heard, Liney seems to actually be putting up the better efforts, especially in the defensive zone. Um, and the defensive metrics are about the same for the two. It's it's the offense. Liney's below replacement level. Connor's above. But yes, they're very similar as a whole. I, I think it's a fair comparison, right? That Connor is who thought Liney is. He's certainly more of that than what the people think he is. If anybody says that Connor's in a high end two way forward, right? So. They're both strange players. Both, hey, I'd take both of them on my team any day. They've got a real talent that most don't. And you can absolutely hide a poor play driver, but you can't hide the other team's goalie from a high-end shooter, right? They're going to have to face that one way or another. So those That's, are players I yeah. take on my team any day. That's a yeah. really interesting thing to say. Yeah, no, and it's good. I, uh, I don't like that. Um, I love Line, so it, it breaks my heart a little. But you know what? As a Jets fan, if you're – you know, one of those guys on your team, if you're going to have one guy who you have a quote-unquote elite finisher, a sniper, whatever you want to call it, the one who ends up having the the higher-end offensive impact is probably the one that you want to keep. So, you know what? That's okay. Um, but the reason that we don't have Patrick Lani anymore, well, not the reason. That's a six-part episode. Um, but we now have Pierre-Luc Dubois on our team. Um, kind of the quote-unquote replacement. We made the trade in January. Uh, who obviously had a little bit of an underwhelming year. Um, I'm not going to get into my whole thing, but I've been a huge fan of him for years. I've watched him play in junior when he was like 18 years old and stuff. And then, you know, big fan of the Blue Jackets, watched him there and he came here. And I was of so many minds. I was worried because people were overhyping him a bit, but I was also wanting people to get excited about him. And then it was just kind of a forgettable season for him. Um, that being said, 
his metrics weren't zeros across the board, like it seems everyone on Jets Twitter thinks they were. Um, do you want to talk about him a little bit? Do you know much about him? What's kind of your thought on the kind of player that Pierre-Luc Dubois is? Yeah, so I've I've uh, seen some some kind of video breakdowns on him before the trade, right, that suggested he was a very effective two-way forward, right, that he kind of could – I think it was um, – Mitch Brown, who said that he he blended playmaking and um, driving the net and shooting in a way that very few players were capable of doing. Um, his metrics looked very, very good in his first three seasons. Putting that together at, at those ages is very, very impressive. It's funny, Jay Fresh has really, has really um, dug in on this, that he has never been a high-end defensive player, according to the metrics but he's very high end offensively. Right. And that was not apparent in Winnipeg in his first year. Again, I, I don't watch a ton of Jets games, so I don't know exactly what it was. It seems to me like he lost his mojo at some point. He just doesn't really seem to have that mojo. He kind of, and, and he might've lost that mojo even back in Columbus when the trade was requested, right. He had that, that he did falling out with Tortorella you saw the video of him and his awful shift that led him to be benched for the rest of the game. I think what's going on with him is at a very young age, I don't think he's suffered any major injuries. You know, it doesn't look like he missed a game at all in his first three seasons. He missed, uh, it looks like a few this season, mm-hmm. but he, he hasn't suffered any major injuries to my knowledge. I think that's a sort of a mental thing, right? Maybe he's a bit more of a sensitive guy or maybe he needs a sports psychologist. I don't know, but he seems to me like somebody who lost his mojo more than anything else. Um, and that's something you can recover, but it is something that some people just don't. And it's, I would, I would feel confident in him rebounding next season with a full year. I think he's still very valuable. I would love to have him on my team. I was of the opinion that teams should be pretty aggressive trying to trade for him. Um, not the best year, but it's interesting. How do you, how do you feel about the whole mojo thing? How does that uh, check out? hundred percent. Like, yeah, my biggest thing was that, listen, like you're bringing in a 22 year old kid. Like I think about it, like my sister, my older sister is turning 22 this year. Like she, you know, is a couple, a few years out of high school. Like you put someone like that into a huge market, they make millions of dollars, whatever. And then all of a sudden they're the talk of the entire league. They move countries. Uh, they're playing with a whole new system. They're, you know, like all these different things and they don't have other seasons of experience to draw from it. Like he was traded once in junior, but he was also a child. Like, I just think there are so many. And then of course the injury, learning all these things, the weird year with, you know, no fans, like it's just super all unfamiliar. Right. So I just think it was so hard for him to just, yeah, like you said, find his mojo in this whole new situation with a million factors. And like, I kept saying, training camp I was saying once he gets a new coach in the training camp and with the Jets he's gonna be great I take back the coach thing it's not happening it's all good whatever but I think a full training camp with this team is gonna be really big for him and if you try and look much deeper than that it's one of those things where like all the issues that he had it was like he would take a ridiculous penalty or he'd run into one of his own guys like were there all these things that just shouldn't be happening were happening to him and I think that's just it's it's a little bit of his own fault it's just I think a lot of environment stuff like I think I think it'll come around but I don't like what you said about some guys never find it again I hope it's not true that being said you were never going to get a better return for Patrick Laine than they did so I think 
the whole trade is just kind of whatever at this point, but. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting to think if they had traded line a, a year before, right? Uh, or two years before it, maybe they could have got a better return, right? Or when that would have turned out better, who knows? But yeah, Dubois is a great return. I thought they won the trade at the time, right? I was saying they got the players clearly better right now. I do think Line has the higher upside, but Line, you talk about a player who might never regather re his mojo. He's like the player who I, I don't know if he's ever going to get it back. Um, so it's a fine trade, right? I think they won it at the time. Both players have some concerns. We'll see how it turns out. It'll be interesting to see if, if either of them sign long-term with the teams that they were dealt to, too, is interesting. But uh, yeah, no, I hope for both of their sakes, they end up having good careers. And I always talk about, I wish we did more player trades like this. Like it was just, this was a weird situation where you had two guys who didn't seem to be happy where they were. So you're able to move them. Very rarely do you see players of that caliber get moved for each other. If it's, if it's a guy, like it's like, if the guy gets traded, it's for like two first round draft picks and then like some decent player, like the one for one piece, obviously there were the add-ins, but it was really interesting to me and it was exciting. And obviously my two favorite players in the entire league, it was very personal to me, but it was really cool to just sort of right. see how it was like under the spotlight of the whole league. And I, it's like the NBA, I wish it happened more. So um, I don't know if we want to talk about trades again, we're going to jump down maybe to talk about some defense a little bit. Um, Cause I realized we're running a bit long here. Um, we traded Jacob Truba for Neil Pionk. Neil Pionk, I was really hard on in his first year. I was kind of rough on him. I was like, I don't like this guy. Couldn't pass the lining on the power play. There was just a lot of things that I wasn't huge on. And, you know, here we are a year later and I would cut off my right arm for Neil Pionk. Like I just, I, I adore him and he's wonderful. And he is an RFA at the end of this year and we're likely going to have to pay him. And it's really interesting to see this year compared to last year, compared to his whole career. Like we wonder what he's going to make. What do you make of Neil Pionk? What are kind of, what does your model say about him? What are your thoughts on the guy? So back in New York with the Rangers, the model said that he was terrible, terrible. One of the worst, uh, even strength play driving defensemen in the league was a, a wonder to anybody why he got the minutes that he got right. Um, below replacement level offensively and defensively by a notable margin it no nobody quite understood why a coach loved him so much and i would even argue that the trade it did seem that winnipeg liked him but the trade i think the i think the piece was the first round pick winnipeg's own first they had just traded for kevin hayes right at the time of the trade anyway that was my interpretation was this is the pick and pionk is a throw-in right but um Pionk has turned around his game in Winnipeg right it looks like he was about replacement level in 2020 and then uh, quite good this year worth half a win um replacement on even strength alone and then worth one win total that's very good for a defenseman um I like I say it's another guy where I just I haven't seen enough to tell you I would love to just hear a video breakdown or just Hear the conclusions of a video breakdown that shows what he did differently in New York, because while these metrics are not extremely predictive or repeatable, they you, you very rarely see a guy go from one of the worst play drivers in the league to a solid play driver in a similar or even an increased role as Pionk did. Now he was already playing top pair minutes in New York, right? But as, as Winnipeg's number one or number two defenseman here, I, I believe, um, to do that is 
very, very uncommon for any player. So I'd love to hear what, what he was doing wrong in New York and how he changed that. Uh, it seems to me like he's, he's an above average hockey player. That's what I'd say. Um, an above average defenseman, a solid one. You don't want to give him too much term or money, right? He's not a, a superstar or whatever, right? But, you know, you give him a, a decent four-year contract. Maybe, I don't know what he's going to be asking for. Maybe four or five million. I don't know if that's too low, but I think you I think you try to make something happen on that kind of contract. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Totally, I think. I, um, he, I don't know if it was he, him who talked about it. I don't know. It was, he said it was a confidence thing in New York, which guys are always going to say, but I, I kind of understand it to a certain extent. He was an undrafted player and he just kind of seems like he's just kind of, he minds his own business sort of thing. Like, I feel like this was the first year that he was really like, I can be the guy. And like, he just seems like he's a really hard worker. Like he got his BCom during the year this year, during the pandemic, like he finished, like he seems like a really driven guy. So I think obviously that's, you know, people will say things like that. It has nothing to do with, the numbers that you're going to see on paper but that's kind of where sort of some of my like it, he, he grew on me in that sense and I think a lot of that comes from you know he wants that added responsibility he wants to be the guy and then you know he got to play on a second power play unit this year the proper power play unit with Nikolai Ehlers and it just you know he last year I didn't in an interview with Murat from the athletic and he was talking about how last year he was like fourth behind like McDavid, Dreisaitl and Marner something like power play points per minutes played or something ridiculous like that like he's yes. just like He's a very curious one, I feel like, and it'll be interesting to see how much money he ends up making because, um, like, it's going to be a like this year was a one-off. I'm not saying it's not going to be repeatable, but if he gets paid based on this year or based on the past five years, kind of thing, it'll be interesting to see. But um, wins above replacement looks like over three years, he's seventy-nine percent. So um, compared to some guys like like Wheeler is a forty percent. Obviously, apples to oranges, but. 79% is pretty good. So I think that's um, something at least a little bit encouraging for Jets fans, especially, um, you know, given the fact that we might have him for a little while. We'll see. Um, yeah, I and I'm, oh, go yeah. on. Uh, I was going to say, I'm looking at the the two-year um, regularized adjusted plus minus, right? The, the bootstrapped one. I love that one. I know it's, I know it's got a little bit too much going on to be quite as popular as Jay Fresh's charts, but just looking at it, he is just a hair above average offensively and a hair above average defensively in his tenure with the Jets. Uh, it's all within the margin of error, right? So you, it's basically, right, you're looking at an above average player who does so playing in some very tough minutes on a team where the defensemen generally struggle. So I, I take all that and I say it looks like an above average player, right? And if you get uh, basically, you know, average level contributions for 21, 23 minutes a night, right, that's definitely good. So I'd yeah. I'd I'd pay him right. I'd say the last two years it looks like a guy worth giving a, a little bit more than league average money to. Yeah, and he's slugging around the weight of Derek Forward all year. So you know what? Good for you, buddy. No, uh, exactly. I'm tough on Derek Forward. He's okay. He's fine. But Neil Pion deserved a little better, I think, this year. But that's okay. Sure. Um, are you disagreeing with me? I don't know. I I haven't looked too deep into a uh, Derek Forward. I I feel like he used to have good metrics a while back but i really don't remember it's his penalty it was probably so good but anyway. in like maybe a 20 game sample or something who knows uh and yeah i i'm sure pionk deserves better but it seems like everybody on that defense does fair yeah. enough yeah no it was just interesting that we were frustrated and it's funny that you say that about the the whole neil pionk was the ad in the first round pick as we all know that first round pick turned into billy hanola who played five games for the jets this year and we're 
wanted to see more of him and Maurice has already said you're not going to see all of the rookies even though we'd rather see him and Sambert any day than another second of Logan Stanley um but I want to talk about actually let's talk about Logan Stanley for a second because I've gotten this is like one of the things I think I'm most passionate about the Jets is like don't protect him over Dylan DeMello and Dylan DeMello I mentioned that I came to that realization earlier that he used to play for the Sharks so you probably have a better idea of him so maybe we'll talk about those two guys and then we'll talk about Josh Morrissey and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Who knows? Even though we haven't talked about our stats god, Matthew Perot yet. Maybe maybe we'll talk about uh, Logan Stanley for the time being. Obviously, one year is tough to tell. But what do you know about him and what are your kind of thoughts on the guy who's six foot seven every time he steps on the ice? So he's definitely a funny looking fella. Just just Jenner, right? Being that tall and uh, just everything about him, right? The fact that he just shoots the puck so much. Uh, I, I think I've seen Garrett Hall tweet about it uh, on the Twitter, talking about how he shoots more than any other defenseman in the league. I think Jay Fresh has tweeted something about that too, by a huge margin, right? He loves taking those ineffective point shots. And I know he scored a couple on Gary Price in the playoffs, and he scored more than Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner combined. But it's it's a guy where, again, my specialty is metrics that need a pretty large sample to be especially useful and Logan Stanley doesn't have that. It looks like he was just a hair above replacement level at even strength, a hair below at all situations because of poor shooting this year. It's just not enough for me to really make anything of it. Um, I would definitely tell him to take back the, the shots, shoot less frequently, right? That's just like a general pet peeve of mine when defensemen shoot too often. Um, shots. Yeah, garbage. so that's... That's probably a concern. He, he needs probably better shot selection. It doesn't seem like he's horrible to his credit. Uh, I think he's fairly young. How how many years ago did he get drafted? Like three or four? Five years ago today. He was our second. Oh, five. Except, he was our first round draft pick the same uh, year. We traded up for him in the Patrick Line year when Sam Gerard uh, was right there anyways. But um, no. Five years, that's, that's a little dangerous. Like five years of getting pretty close to like when a guy should be like at his peak. Well, that's the thing is that they always talk about the Jets and the whole draft and develop thing. We thought Logan Stanley was going to be a bust. Like he just was not good. But that's, I think that's the thing they knew that, right? Like they had the guarantee. They had the sure thing with Patrick Laine that year. They're like, why not take a chance on the six foot seven defenseman? If it doesn't work out, you have Patrick Laine. If it does, you have a six foot seven defenseman. Um, but like my favorite thing is that on his class or on his 3.1 player card here uh, from this year, he was in the zero with. I don't even know how you say that percentile of quality of competition. That man played the most sheltered minutes of any hockey player I've ever seen in my entire life. And he put up average to below average results or like, or slightly above average, like you said. And that's something that really well, replacement me. above replacement. Oh, oh sorry. sorry you were sorry. a little below average. Yeah. But okay. Above replacement. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, average as like a general kind of thing, he was fine. Um, but when you say that, uh, you know, after one year of seeing him, maybe a little bit later than he should have been because he didn't develop super quickly and he played really sheltered minutes and you're saying, but he's six foot seven, let's protect him over Dylan DeMello. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not hiding my opinion very well. You know how I feel. Um, what are your thoughts on Dylan DeMello and what would you as Kevin Shoveldayoff do when it comes to protecting a third defenseman behind Morrissey and Pionk or would you even protect Morrissey? <laughs> I would not protect Josh Morrissey. Um, again, you know, I'm not somebody who just, just looks at a chart and, and says that's gospel. 
But at the same time, his results are just really rough for multiple seasons now. They're declining hard. He's reaching an age where players tend to decline, and he's already got a head start on that. And he makes a lot of money for a long time. I, that's a contract I think Winnipeg would, would be much better off if they didn't have. And I doubt that Seattle would claim him anyway. I, like I said, I just I think higher of their front office than to claim him in the expansion draft. So I would just I would just uh, not protect Morris. You know, I get that can cause issues in the locker room, especially when you know you're going to have to keep him. So it's it's tricky. So uh, we'll we'll say they're going to they'll say they're going to protect him. I highly doubt they don't. Right. But we'll say they're going to protect him. Then it comes down to DeMello versus Stanley. It's pretty obviously DeMello, right? DeMello is an above average player. Um, metrics will pretty clearly bear that out. It's three years, right? Ever since Ottawa got him, he's been above average for them. Um, and he's played in, in bigger roles in Ottawa too. He's another guy where I'm not quite sure why Winnipeg limits his minutes, although it makes more sense than them doing so with Ehlers, right? It's not like DeMello is a, an elite scorer or whatever. Uh, he's not big. He's not physical, right? We had him in San Jose. It's funny. I did not like him in San Jose. I take it back. I was not a fan. I, we had, we had this defenseman. I doubt you ever heard of his name is Tim Heed. And in 2017, 2018, Tim Heed came out and had a, a good start to the season, he played 27 games. And then the coach just scratched him for Dylan DeMello for the rest of the season. And there was some disdain towards DeMello because of that. DeMello's metrics, to his credit, at even strength, were solid that season. I thought he was terrible. That's a loss for the eye test, obviously, given how he's done since then. Um, but it, does, it really doesn't matter what I thought of him back when I was watching games in 2018. Right? What matters? He's posted very good results for three straight seasons right now. He's, he would be the first Winnipeg Jets defenseman that I would protect personally. He's on a, an affordable contract for, I think, a few more years. So he'd be the first I would protect. Um, he also he's the kind of analytics darling that everybody expects Seattle to stock up on and dominate the league with. I'm not as convinced that they'll do that. We'll, we'll see what happens with Winnipeg. I think that protecting Stanley over DeMello would be a, a pretty big mistake because I think that at this point in Stanley's career, you're lucky if you get out of him what Dylan DeMello seems to provide from year to year. Yeah, for sure. And like, that's the thing is people, you know, talk about how they saw flashes of the physicality and, you know, we need some size on the back end ever since we lost us in Buckland. Garrett Hole said it best. I swear, I say this just as often as that whole quote of why would you play someone who's old that is bad over someone who's young that might be bad kind of thing. But it's the whole fact that size is not an asset unless you know how to use it. And that's when people talk about, they're like, Oh, Logan Stanley is going to be so good. Like, Beyond him being tall, like what is what is telling you that? Like I haven't seen one good reason beyond that. And I think Dylan DeMello is interesting. The usage thing, though, I want to from a Jets fan perspective, I think Paul Maurice knew that he was a really solid defenseman. And so that's why he put him with Logan Stanley all year, is that he gave him someone dependable so he could, you know, grow him, you know, the whole draft and develop thing. You bring him into the league, don't throw him to the wolves kind of thing. But then at the same time, you're also throwing Tucker Pullman and Nathan Bolio to the wolves. So it's a very kind of catch 22 situation there. But I was a really good partner, I think, for Logan Stanley to have, but I think it would be a massive mistake to expose him when he's on such a beautiful contract and just seems like a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, he does seem like a good guy. I can't deny that. Um, one of my favorite things was at the beginning of the pandemic, he's like, hey, shout out to grocery store workers and people who work at a gas station. It was just this really cute little tweet. And someone's like, 
I don't want to hear you preaching from your mansion about whatever the struggles of the pandemic because he said something like oh we're all in this together and he's like actually I live at my in-laws and it was just yeah I've seen the tweet yeah it was a funny one I just and he seems really great and like you know his exit interview this year and he's like I'm excited to go see my son he had a kid in January and it's just like when he signed a contract he's like I'm really excited to build my family in Winnipeg like I just that guy I want that guy on my team and when that guy puts up better numbers than any of our other defensemen I also still want him on my team um but the whole team Dylan DeMello thing makes me think of when we scratched Toby Enstrom in game uh five against Vegas for Joe Morrow or whoever it was and then Toby Enstrom never played another game with the Jets um I I still hold that against I think it's Joe Morrow I don't even know or like it's like Ben Sherrod or something stupid like that or Demetri Kulikov one of those guys one of those guys and I hold it against any of them if I ever find out who it is I hold it against them even though it's not their fault oh it should be the coach right that's that's who you need exactly exactly and but I've done my fair share of blaming the coach so I'm not going to do that right now um um, but did you want to talk a little bit more about Josh Morrissey because I feel like he's one of those ones that you know he wears a letter we signed him to a long-term deal he's here forever and ever amen um but that's a little bit alarming to some people who look more at the spreadsheets and people who you know watch the game and see that that guy gets caved every single shift that he's on the ice and you worry about him was he nothing without Truba if we get another Truba will he go back to his full form is this someone who's already you know beyond the point of repair what would do you have any kind of thoughts on Josh Morrissey yeah so again it's it's hard for me again a lot, a lot of these Winnipeg guest players really have followed fairly weird trajectories or they're just they're just hard to evaluate at this point in time I know it's kind of a I say that about all these players it's hard to evaluate hockey players in general to me but Josh Morrissey it's funny I hear a few Winnipeg Jets bring up Seth Jones when the expansion topic comes up right and the idea that team I've had a few Winnipeg Jets fans specifically tell me they think that he will be claimed or he would be claiming expansion or that he could get a positive return in trade and they have supported that with this vague reference to Seth Jones, right? That, oh, people don't always know who the best players are. Look at how they talk about Seth Jones. Well, people don't talk that way about Josh Morrissey. I don't hear about him outside of Winnipeg at all. Uh, I'm sure he's still considered a good defenseman by some executives and hockey men and fans who, who aren't necessarily super uh, big analytics fans. But he is not regarded as this high-end defenseman. Right. It, it does seem, I mean, it's, it's no coincidence, right. That, that Truba left and his metrics fell off, but Truba's metrics took a bit of a hit too in New York. So it's really hard to say who chicken or the egg, right. Sometimes two guys just work well together and they struggle without each other. I, again, I don't, I don't watch a ton of the player, so I can't say whether I still see top pairing ability or not. Obviously, when a guy is posting some of the worst results in the league in a top pairing role, you have to, I mean, that's the first thing you have to try, I think, right? It's just getting him out of that role first and foremost, right? Because if he's going to be posting those results in a lesser role, at least he won't be doing it as often. Um, In Morrissey's case, again, I don't, it's hard for me to say whether he can bounce back. I doubt he'll be as bad as he was this year. Most players just aren't that bad in a given year. But he it's not a contract that would touch with a 10-foot pole personally and I, I think that most executives would actually agree with me there at the end of the day this is not a Seth Jones mythology type of player that everyone loves right I think that a decent amount of people are on to the fact that he is declining pretty rapidly 
could bounce back with a different partner. Um, he probably will bounce back to some degree, but it, it's it's tough to say. It, it's it's not looking good. I'll just leave it at that. It's tough to one say, the, but it's not. One of the more annoying things about that comparison too is that people are always like, oh, like Seth Jones. Okay, fine. Maybe he has bad underlying numbers, but he played in Columbus. Like people regard Columbus as some like trash zone, garbage, whatever. And then Winnipeg is like, so good whatever not so good no one thinks that they're so good but people think they're a lot better than they are and people think i think columbus was really bad too and this if we get into the free agency thing we'll talk about the whole rasmus bristol line and people are like bring him into the jets like we want him <laughs> no no i know um but they're like oh it's the buffalo effect like that's why he looks bad i'm like excuse me like jake mccabe is right there like it's not the buffalo effect ta- is taken into account in a lot of these numbers here and but josh morrissey i think a lot of that does come from the pressure of the he's the one a and that's how it is and he plays with the seven k like he's not even playing with the two a guy like he's playing with way down the wire there but um and if, you, if you're taking the paul maurice logic i'll speak from his mouth um when he said that you know when he's talking about darnell nurse being a norris caliber defenseman anyone who plays that many minutes is a norris caliber caliber defenseman in my mind so josh morrissey still a good player because he plays a lot of minutes so that's uh, <laughs> um yeah (laughs) did you have anything you wanted to add on to that that was kind of no just just the the bad bad player bad team thing is is just to me with so many of these guys right Ristolainen I want to say every single year of his career the Sabres have been better with him on the bench than on the ice so no matter how bad you say his team is that's just a further indictment of his performance you can't use the bad team thing to absolve him of it, no matter how bad you say the team is, right? If you say that this is a, a peewee team, that just makes him look worse because the team is worse with him. They're better off without him. So that just means he's not even peewee level in that case. So I just, I never buy that excuse um, when it comes to guys who have poor relative metrics as well. Now, there's something to be said for guys who would do better in, in different roles, right? I do believe there's plenty of those. And Ristolainen, you can't do much worse than he's already done. I think he could maybe be a, a solid, you know, bottom pairing specialist. I don't want to rule it out, but he's had, he's done a poor, he's made his team worse every year and he's been in the league for a long ass time now and he's never yeah. made his team better. So I, that's a guy I would just stay the hell away from. If somebody else happens to take a win on him, so be it. I'm not going to bother taking that risk. Yeah, it was in April this year. I was talking to a couple of our local Sportsnet guys and they're like, yeah, like I think the word is that the reason we got Jordy Ben was because a deal fell through where we were going to get Ristolainen and Colin Miller, which is so, like, I don't even want to know what we were going to get rid of to get Rasmus Ristolainen because I feel like he was probably a little bit more expensive than he should be. But, um, but I do want to talk about some potential summer moves for the Jets, especially on the blue line. Um, so people talk about how Seth Jones is on the trading block there. And, you know, all these people are like, you know, pay him whatever it takes to bring him here. But then you also have the Dougie Hamiltons who are going to be free agents. And then that's what I'm saying, pay him whatever it takes to get here. Like, who are some of the guys that you're thinking are out there? Uh, this is on a whim here. I realize you're not a huge Jets guy, so you might not know, like, all the intricacies, whatever that might give you the best answer. But who would you think would be a good fit for the Jets to bring in? And if it's a forward, that's fun too. But I was thinking probably more defenseman just because that's a very glaring hole in our team right now. <laughs> yeah, so so Dougie Hamilton. So first of all, obviously, I'm an analytics guy. Of course, I'd say stay away from Seth Jones, right? I'm a public analytics guy. You're not going to find one of those that, that thinks you should bring on Seth Jones um, 
at all. I mean, I would take a chance on him if there were no assets to be paid. I'd take a chance one year. Um, probably, I don't even think that'd be a smart decision, but I just couldn't say no. Uh, just would have to try it, just given the way people talk about him. Um, point of cap friendly, looking at free agents right now. I see, I see Doug Hamilton, Alex Adler, Mark Stahl, Alex Golgoski. I guess if you sort by points, you see Tyson Berry. No. Alec Martinez. No, no Tyson Berry. I know. Um, yeah. So Mike Riley's one, he had some really good, I don't know if the Jets are specifically looking at left side or right side. I think they could use both. They, they, say, they and, say right. We say left. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's, I, I would say they seem to need it more um, on the left as well. So then Mike Riley, he's an analytics darling, has some of the best even strength play driving numbers in the league. Uh, he's going to be affordable. The thing is, defensemen, it's funny, all of my models tell me that defensemen, none of them are that good, none of them are that important, they're, they're just not as important to success, even Dougie Hamilton, you can pull up his chart, and I think it's with 98th percentile on the JFresh top-down chart. I think you're right. 98, now. that's a really big number, right, it's really close to 100 but I don't see him as, as being one of maybe even the top 30 best players in the league because the best forwards add so much more than the best defensemen. And so when it comes to Hamilton and paying him his asking price, which is probably going to be like an eight by eight contract, right? He probably shouldn't be taking less money than like Jacob Truba, for example, right? He how can much, command. I don't even know how much he makes. Does he make like eight? Truba's eight by seven. Yeah, eight by the max term he could get, right? Because he was new to New York. Um, and so I'm pretty sure he could only get seven years. Hamilton probably looking at eight by eight. Hamilton turned 28 a week ago. Same draft eight. as Mark Shifley. <laughs> I'm telling you the aging curves on 28-year-olds are, are not generally pretty. Hamilton is one of the best defensemen in the league. I do think there's something to be said for him um, – not that he likes museums and everything, but I, I think that the suggestion that he's a bit of a hired gun, just sort of personality in the room, uh, may be warranted. Maybe he doesn't necessarily play with a certain level of passion. I don't care that much. He seems to pretty consistently get results even in the playoffs, so it's it's not a huge deal to me. Um, like like it's it's more of a subjective kind of personal thing. I understand the hesitancy towards him, but at the end of the day from a mathematical perspective, right? Just looking hard at the numbers. He is one of the best defensemen in the league, but he's also 28. Defensemen are not as valuable as forwards. They're also not as predictable. So I'm, I'm less confident in him being elite going forward than an elite forward I would be. Um, I'd probably stay away from Dougie Hamilton. I know that's not going to be the common opinion among the analytics guys. Maybe if you're with the Winnipeg Jets and you think you can win a Stanley Cup next year, you think he's the difference between a Stanley Cup, I don't think that's true, but I could see their management thinks that that what I would say on Dougie Hamilton, if, and only if you think you can win the Stanley cup next year, then you bring him on and you accept that the later years are probably going to be ugly and you really need defense. But I would say they that the Winnipeg Jets, they should be looking at guys like Mike Riley, um, Jamie Alexiak, Ryan Murray. I don't think you're going to be able to get Adam Pellick out of, uh, my out dreams. of the Islanders, right? Yeah, a doubtful. The, the Adams in the metropolitan area are my my dream. My pelican. Oh <laughs> yes, um, uh, it's they got the same. Yeah, they're they're funny. Um, I, um, 
but we were when we were talking about the trade deadline we talked about how like you know you had the david savards on the, and they were just like what a first at plus for him and we were talking about how we didn't think that chevy really dropped the ball like none of those trades that happened did we really say chevy should have gone further for it other than mike riley mike riley we said but i'm of the mind that we're not one defenseman away from winning i think we're one defensive system away from winning and i think bringing in the mike riley's and the jamie alexiak's and bulking up that personnel and then when you have your hanoles and sandbergs coming in through the pipe there that's when you're going to be better suited so i actually agree with you on the dougie hamilton thing like honestly like it looks beautiful to me i love to you know you know, uh, what's the word, like go all in on the free agent signing, like Winnipeg hasn't really done that. Um, but like in hindsight, we're going to end up with another Blake Wheeler contract making $8 million at 34 years old on the back end of an aging curve like that. So I think you're not alone in that appraisal, but there are a lot of people that are of the mind that we need one defenseman um, to win a cup. And I sure as hell would rather have him than Seth Jones as the one defenseman that we take. So yeah. And especially because of the assets piece too, Seth Jones is going to command a lot of money if we do have to pay him. And you're also going to give up like a player and a good prospect to get him. Like, even though he's only got one year left because he's so highly regarded for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, those are some, it's, it's so funny. Cause it's like, it's like a, really similar to the conversation you have in April when you're like, who are some free age or some trade deadline guys? Cause those are all guys in expiring contracts. So come the off season, who are the guys you want? same ones because they're the guys who are free agents now so it's funny that you mentioned a couple of those names because we had talked about them as potential fits earlier but i love to see us do something i think that's kind of just my I, i'd like to see something happen but um they definitely need help they definitely need to make a move winnipeg right they're if they're trying to, to win games next year they definitely need to improve their blue line um there's there's a good number of names out there that could all improve it i mean they have some pretty questionable personnel and I, I, you know, I see a decent amount of players that could help them. I think that that's probably the, the safer and smarter long-term route than a Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the extent of, I feel like, what I had sort of that I wanted to talk about. Like, obviously, there are about a million and one things we could talk about, considering how much I love these visits that um, I can't even pronounce the word, but that um, Jay Fresh makes and obviously all the work that you do to to put them together i find they're really useful tools especially when it comes to things like free agent signings like i'm not going to pretend that i'm an expert on mike riley genuinely don't think i've seen my like he's a little forgettable on the ice when it comes to the five minutes of bruins games that i've watched so you know it's little things like that so it's a really useful tool and obviously there's always going to be the disconnect between the people who are old school and don't believe in stats beyond goals and plus minus and hits and block shots um, but it's a really useful tool and it's again it's all based on stuff that's already happened on the ice and everyone is being graded graded in a similar way so I think it's a really interesting thing and like you said you've edited edited it um, several times and you're always looking to make it better like you said the goal of your brand is to be wrong about hockey less frequently so I think it's really cool um, that this is kind of a new age that we're entering and all these um, people like yourself who are making hockey that much more interesting and there's a lot more to back it up so I appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. It's definitely been a fun experience. Um, and uh, yeah, I appreciate all the kind words. Like I say, it really is just the goal. We're never going to be 100% about everything. And hockey is just so weird and so random and unpredictable. We're just going to get a ton of stuff wrong no matter what. Like Dougie Hamilton could get even better into his 30s for all I know, right? And just make me look like a total idiot there. Uh, it's just, you know, just thrown out based on what I've seen with with defensemen and aging curves. He's a guy I'd stay away from. 
right? We, we can't be wrong about, we can't be right about everything. We can be wrong about everything if we really try to be stupid, but we can't be right about everything. Um, and I'm, you know, I obviously appreciate all the support that I've received in my work. Uh, definitely very validating. Definitely been a, a great experience. I'm, I'm glad that I started the whole top-down hockey and um, comments like yours helped me validate that it was a good decision. So thank you for that. Yeah, good. And I'm glad, yeah, we can help each other out in that way. So it's good. I, I appreciate it. And um, I, I realize now that we didn't even talk about Patrick's like most famous article of the whole, the, what's the title? Paul, looking inside. What to make Paul, of Paul Maurice's Paul crusade against public analytics. I think, right. I think it was. That, yeah, yeah. So it's a terrific read. Uh, if you haven't had the chance to check that one out yet, he published it in what, February. I don't know. And it's a really interesting thing yeah. to always talk about, you know, Mark Shapley with his analytics or hogwash and Paul Maurice talking about how his models are better than the public ones and stuff like that. And it's, it's really interesting, especially for someone like myself who happens to harp on the coach quite often um, to sort of take a step back and look at the reasons why. And then all these things about how the stats are better and these are the reasons why and this is why Paul Maurice thinks that way and it's really really insightful so definitely give that one um, a look and I guess we'll have to have you back to chat about that one and then the next piece that you do on um, Charlie Huddy in the 1980s hybrid defense system that we run um, on our blue line since 2011 and some fun stuff like that so, <laughs> um, right. again, thank you for joining me this evening we uh, yeah did this as Montreal became a cup final team so who knows? Like you said, we're never right about hockey because who would have thought? Who would have thunk this one, right? So, um, I said they were good. I I'm pretty sure you could. Uh, I'm gonna have to pull up my season projections now. Um, yeah, I'm I had them finishing sure. second in the north, but that, that was. I'm second in the north. Uh, no, but well, I had them second in the north. I definitely became less bullish on them as the season went on, and they kind of right Gallagher was injured. Do they fired Claude they fired Julien? Ducharme came in. They their underlying metrics tanked. Um, I I definitely lost some of the confidence I had in them, so I can't take a full victory lap. But the analytics guys definitely like Montreal. At the end of the day, they did have some pretty high expected goal numbers. Um, all right, I have Jets. to say. I have to say real quick before we hop off, I said the very last thing I said about Montreal in my season preview was if Ben Shiro, Joel Edmondson, and Jonathan Druin can put up results that are in line with how good Montreal's management perceives they are, or Claude Julien can limit their ice time, this team can make some serious noise. Interesting. Well, Ben Sherratt, the king of the icing the puck, I don't know if I'm quite on board with that one, but uh, I, I think that's a very reasonable prediction. So I, I could say you could take a victory lap for that one. I think that's about fair. So. We'll say. We'll say. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to tweet right now a screenshot of my of that uh, quote with like a like a thinking emoji. Of course, like you said, you said at the beginning, your bio was pretentious. This is you being pretentious now. So. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, super. Uh, thanks again. Thanks everyone for listening. This is a ton of fun and uh, we'll see you all for some more expansion, um, entry draft, all that good stuff coming up in, uh, in the next couple of weeks. Super. Awesome. Take care. I'm Kurt Gilback and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.